Hello, I'm Alex Adams, and this is the first episode of the Sports and Entertainment Marketing Podcast Series. The first thing that we have learned about in the past two weeks was about agents and their relationship between the athletes and the owners. Some of the responsibilities of agents are that they are a legal representative of an athlete, they are required to manage the career of their client, and they typically represent themselves as an attorney or an accountant. Agents in the NFL and NBA get paid 3% of a player's contract, whereas in the NFL and MLB, they get paid anywhere from 4 to 10% of a player's contract. If someone wants to become an agent, they m- must follow a set of rules and regulations. Some of these include following NCAA and other collegiate-level rules and regulations for athletes. You must be registered with the league as an agent and have a certification to be an agent. Athletes will choose agents because they can help with a draft position, they could line you up for better endorsements, and they could protect you from distractions. Agents are not perfect, though, and may get a player in trouble, a college team in trouble, or do something unethical. A second thing that we have learned about in the past two weeks was legal issues. Sometimes sport or event companies will engage in practices that are unethical or even illegal in extreme cases. There are three types of illegal trade practices in sports and entertainment marketing. The first type of illegal practice in sport and entertainment marketing is trademark infringement and effects on licensing. Sports organizations prioritize trademarks because of money and reputation. A sports organization will claim their trademark by registering names and logos with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Once an organization has done this, they can charge other companies for the right to use trademarks on their products. Licensing is a great revenue source for many organizations because they can make maximum revenue with minimum effort. Not only does licensing help earn revenue by granting access to other companies to use it, it can also help attract new fans. If a fan sees high-quality team merchandise, they will think highly of the team and may feel compelled to support the team. Licensing merchandise can help increase your fan base and sales. The Lanham Act regulates trademarks through a set of laws. One of the most important terms that the Lanham Act defines is trademark infringement. Trademark infringement is illegal, and this can occur when an organization copies, counterfeits, or reproduces another company's trademark to use for its own profit. Trademark infringement is damaging to a sport slash an event organization because it takes away from potential sales from the organization and it confuses the public. If trademark infringement ever occurs, then the sport or event organization will have to go to court and take legal action. The person convicted of trademark infringement is prosecuted in court. Trademark violation will result in consequences such as fines or imprisonment. The second type of illegal practice in sport slash event marketing is restraining free trade and competition. When sports first start out in America, there's a very small number of companies. Then in 1890, Congress passed the Sherman Antitrust Act, and this was done to regulate commerce between states. This law ensures that one company or group of companies is not allowed to hold monopoly over an industry. This act has been updated, but the law remains constant. An example of a sports league that is exempt from this rule is baseball, otherwise known as the MLB, Major League Baseball. 
In Major League Baseball, baseball franchises are not permitted to relocate to other areas unless the MLB approves of it. When this was first determined in 1922, baseball teams operated in local areas and they were not involved in interstate commerce. However, today is a much different story as baseball teams share revenues and have nationwide sponsors and global licensing deals. Despite the expansion of baseball, the exemption is still there. This is why professional sport leagues with exemptions do this to this degree. Due to this rule, most baseball teams tend to stay in the same place. It is more common for teams in other professional leagues to move. That being said, it's still possible for a baseball team to relocate. They just have to have it approved by the MLB. Since 1972, there have only been two baseball teams to relocate, compared to six NFL teams, 11 NBA teams, and nine NHL moves. Not only can the MLB determine whether or not a team is allowed to move, they can also eliminate teams from the league. Due to the restrictive nature of the MLB, teams typically just have to deal with the market. This is especially for hard for teams in non-popular markets. Baseball teams in these markets have to find a way to market creatively in order to boost the team's popularity and fan base. There is also another antitrust issue called broadcast rights. In 1961, the Sports Broadcasting Act was passed. This act allows leagues to pull broadcasting rights and sell them as a package to television networks. Sports leagues in general are not disallowed by this to black out certain games if they want to. This is typically done in areas when there is a home game but it is not sold out, and a blackout is when a game is purposely not shown for a particular reason, and this is typically done to incentivize the fans to come out and support their team at events. Fans become very frustrated when this happens because they are unable to watch their team, and a sports team must be careful not to do this all the time because it may damage their public relations. The third type of illegal practice in sports slash event marketing is right of publicity and right of privacy. A person has a right to protect their name and likeness. Whenever a person feels that they may have been misrepresented, they can take legal action. And there's two types of laws to prevent identity misappropriation. They are right of publicity and right of privacy. The right of publicity protects a person from unauthorized use of their name and likeness for financial gain. This type of law gives the person exclusive rights to the use of their name. Each person has a choice to endorse products or license their identity to a certain manufacturer. The right of privacy protects the person mentally slash emotionally. A celebrity in general will sue for the right of privacy when their seclusion is intruded upon, when they're given an unreasonable amount of publicity, or when they're placed in a false light. For organizations to avoid these fines, they should obtain written consent and create a contract providing payment to the athlete or celebrity before using their image. All businesses have to be aware of their risk constantly in order to be prepared for anything. While risk cannot be completed, completely avoided, there are certain steps you can take to minimize the likelihood of risk. A sports organization will ensure that they follow national, state, and local laws to lessen the chance of incident and to avoid liability for losses or injuries. The two main methods that companies will use to prevent risks are security and ticketing. Security is very important to a sports organization because it affects their image to the public. This affects their image to the public because it's a testament to how safe and secure their sporting event and games are. And let's face it, you don't want to go to a game if you don't feel secure.
the last thing a sports slash event organization wants to happen is theft of money or property from a fan during a game. If this were to happen, fans would not want to come to games. Ticketing is also the second method used to prevent risk at sporting events. Sometimes people will try to pass off counterfeit tickets as real tickets to get into the game. Other times, unsuspecting fans will buy counterfeit tickets, and this typically happens when a fan buys a ticket from a scalper. Um, typically, when a league hears about this, they will try to educate their fans on how to identify sources that they will not um, buy counterfeit tickets from. from. Um, there are laws that prevent scalping, but they vary from each state. Some states completely ban the practice. Others are more tolerant, and they require a broker's license. Breaking this law typically goes down as a misdemeanor, and people are usually fined. This issue is bigger than it's ever been today due to the internet. The number of tickets being sold through the internet makes it very hard for law enforcement to investigate scalping. If sports slash event organization prevention methods do not work, then they have insurance to make sure that they do not lose money. This helps them uh, financially cover their losses. Now, state laws require sports slash event managers and marketers to carry adequate insurance. This insurance, they must cover teams, leagues, athletes, venues, sponsors, vendors, and licensees. The types of insurance involved in sports or events are fire, theft, injury, and cancellation. A special type of insurance involved with Sport or event marketing is prize indemnity insurance. Prize indemnity insurance helps protect sport slash event organization or sponsors from loss of income due to contest awards. In the event where a sport slash organization hosts an event that offers a prize award, the insurance would pay if the participant were to win the award. This is done to um, provide liability for the chance of a contestant winning the contest in this uh, makes a sport or event organization not susceptible to losing money. Labor relations are also an important part of sports-slash-event marketing legal issues. The National Labor Relations Act, passed in 1935, gave all U.S. workers the right to organize into unions and collectively bargain and strike. Collectively bargaining is when employees join together as a single unit to negotiate with management. During the 1970s, athletes and sports leagues decided to create unions called player associations. Every league in the U.S. today has a collective bargaining agreement with their player association. The terms of this agreement address issues such as salary caps, league authority over players, revenue sharing, and free agency. Sometimes during these negotiations, they might turn sour and they cannot agree on something. And when this happens, there may be a player strike or an owner lockout. When this happens, both uh, the player and the owner suffer financial losses and public relation damages. And an important element in a collective bargaining agreement is free agency. Free agency allows players to sell their services to the highest bidding team after playing an agreed upon number of years with their original team. The ability to switch employees is more restrictive in the professional sports leagues than it is in the regular business league. This is important to the players because it allows them to control their career and their future. In order to plan and perform games slash events, there are many important people and elements necessary for it to work.
Some of these elements include the organizers, the sponsors, the broadcasters, the venue, and its personnel. Every element has a designated responsibility, and to determine their specific responsibilities, all parties will come together and write a formal contract. Typically, when they do this, they hire an attorney to handle the process because contract law can be very complicated, and the last thing you want to do is break a law, so they want to make sure that they're following all the laws. Um, an important contract type is a sponsor contract. Exclusivity is a huge part of a sponsor contract as they usually insist on being the only one in their specific category of goods and services. Something that is common to include in a sponsorship agreement is an option to renew and a right of first refusal. The option to renew allows the sponsor to extend the agreement after the contract expires. The right of first refusal means that the event organizers will allow the sponsors the opportunity to renew before offering the contract to any other sponsors. Sponsor contracts also make sure to address procedures regarding the use of trademarks. Each sponsor is given a design handbook with instructions explaining how they can use trademarks and logos and ads and promos. It also states how long they are allowed to use trademarks. I'm Alex, and this concludes podcast episode one. See you next time.